0: So Father, I, I would just ask that you would speak to us as we think on you. Lord Jesus, as we consider the things that you've taught us, help us help us to understand what you have taught. I pray that each person sitting here right now would feel encouraged that you would strengthen them in their inmost being, that you would would remind them in that inmost being that you are in them and you're with them, that you're for them, that you're not against them. So encourage those that are feeling overwhelmed right now, feeling confused or feeling lost or feeling, feeling weary or feeling depressed. Father, I pray for our families. Pray for the husbands and wives in this community. I ask that you would encourage them, that you would strengthen their marriages and their bonds with their children. Father, I pray for those that are engaged in our community, and I pray that you would help them to love one another as you love us. And Father, for those in our community that are single, I pray that you would sustain them and be everything that they need, Lord Jesus, that you would be there for them in ways that would be powerful and fulfill all of their needs. Father, we praise you that you do know what we need before we even ask. You know what's on our hearts. You know what's on our minds. You know the good and the bad, and you want to hear it nonetheless. You love us nonetheless. Praise you that we can call you Father. Praise you that you we are your children. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So I'm going to forego the whole introduction to the series. Back to Galilee. You can listen to an earlier recording if you don't know what that's all about. Have you ever had somebody in your life that you could tell anything to? There's nothing like that. There's nothing like having somebody in your life that you can just bury your soul you can just lay it out there. Whatever's going on in your mind, whatever's going on in your heart, whatever's gone on in your past, whatever you're thinking about having going on in your future—just anything. You can bl- you can just let it out. And to have somebody that you can share with, it isn't going to condemn you, it isn't going to judge, you. It isn't going to kick you to the curb because oh my goodness, I can't believe you thought that. It's powerful. It is powerful. We need people in our lives, like. But we have a God who is like that. We have a God that we can tell anything to. He's not going to kick us to the curb. He's going to listen to us. We might not get like responses like we would like at times. <laughs> like, can you just tell me what you think of that God? <laughs> can you just answer me? But we have a God who we can speak to and he's not going to abandon us. Can bear our souls. We can tell him, like, man, Lord Jesus, my thoughts are messed up today. I got my mind in the gutter. I don't like it. Help me. I'm not focused too much on your kingdom lately. Help me. He already knows what's going on anyway. He wants us to come and tell him what's going on in our minds, what's going on in our hearts. He wants us to share with him where we're. Desperate. He wants us also to share with him the things that are joyful in our lives. He wants us to share it, it all. We're going to talk about just that prayer. There's a really great, 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 a Willie really great quote. <laughs> <laughs> I know it seems to have carried on for you guys' wedding. It's a really great quote from one of my favorite authors, Eugene Peterson. And he writes about prayer. He writes about prayer quite a bit, and he talks about prayer quite a bit, and I imagine he prays quite a bit. So I'd like to hope so, if he's going to talk about it and teach on it, that he would himself do it, and I'm sure he does. But he talks about how the church's culture concerning prayer is a little bit peculiar. And and it's, he's not trying to put down some things that people do, but <clears throat> he, he talks about like terminology of people being a prayer warrior, and he doesn't he doesn't like just poo poo that idea altogether. Like there are some people that are just they, they just feel compelled to intercede and spend time in prayer, <clears throat> but the struggle comes when we put people that pray. Well, or a lot, on some kind of a pedestal, and we say they're a prayer warrior. That's a kind of a it's kind of a problem because it discourages the rest of us <laughs> from praying, right? Just like anything else, if we put people on a pedestal at being really good at something, we discourage other people that aren't so good at it from trying it. It's so one of the negative things that's happened, like with music and why I like to lead, lead worship because I'm not that good at it, and it encourages you all to sing really loud. <laughs> <laughs> but when things are honed to the point where it's almost flawless, normal folk don't feel encouraged to do it. So the quote from Peterson says that what we should recognize is that prayer is more like breathing. And we never say, Man, she is a really good breather. It needs to become something that's just a natural part of our lives, like breathing. We're just carrying on about our day, and somehow we've learned to be attentive to God's presence in our midst that we can just carry on a running dialogue with God. Do you pray? I'm, I'm going to ask a few questions, and I don't. I want you to just to think about them. I don't. I don't want you to answer out loud. Do you pray? Do we pray? Why do we pray? Already answered this question in part, but what is prayer? What motivates us to pray? I want to stop on this question for just a second. Because some of you have maybe participated in churches before where the pastor wants to give you a really hard time for the fact that you only pray when you have a desperate, needy situation, right? Like all of a sudden the world's falling apart around you and you find yourself thrown on the ground and crying out to God. And people come along and want to say like, well, that's not okay. Where were you you talking to God when things were good? And that's a valid point, but I would prefer to be like you... (laughs) Well, you're in good company when you are in desperation and you cry out to God. God would rather have you cry out to him in desperation than not cry out to him at all. It's something to build on at least, right? My kids cry out for me when they're hurt. And I, that's, that's okay. I wish they cried out to me more often. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, what motivates us to pray? What discourages us from praying? I think it's interesting that we have an entire book within the Old Testament, within the Scriptures, devoted to this subject—the Psalms. We we spend time every Tuesday morning. As a community, it's seven o'clock. If you want to show up, sometime reading through the Psalms. And I think we're like at 123 or something like that now, 124. So 124 weeks into this, what is that in years? Two years and some odd months, right? Some, anyway, and it's it's powerful. Two years, 20 months. It's powerful. It is powerful to sit and to read a psalm together, and to hear what some of these crazy people are going to say to God. What are you doing, God? Are you asleep? Where are you? Wake up. Help me. I'm innocent. I haven't done anything wrong. Get them, God. Go get the bad guys, because I'm good. Oh, it's okay. Your math is okay. We're okay with your math. We love you, Scott. Nonetheless, we love you. So, (laughs) the Psalms are filled with powerful prayers. Powerful prayers of people not trying to get all their theology all lined up and perfect. They're bringing their experiences before God and meeting God in that place. Now, it doesn't mean that there aren't wrong ways to pray. We'll talk about that in a second. This probably seemed like a little bit of a rough segue, but... hypocrite a hypocrite the greek word for hypocrite does anybody have any idea the origins of that Hmm. yeah masks a mask where it's a theatrical piece of terminology and it's adopted by jesus to refer to people who don't practice what they preach people who do one thing in front of people to do another thing someplace else And it's extremely difficult in community to foster authentic community when a lot of people are wearing masks. It's very difficult to encourage folks to show up and be transparent with who they are when some people, particularly leadership, are pretending to be somebody other than who they are. But it's true across the board. Anybody that shows up and is not wanting to be transparent, that intends to not be transparent, deteriorates authentic community. And on the flip side, this isn't obvious, people that are willing to come forward and be bold about what's going on in their lives, to be transparent, to not wear a mask, foster authentic community. Though I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, last week people sharing about their lives is authentic. Well, as long as they're being honest, <laughs> is authentic community building. People coming forward and sharing, I've blown it in my life, and due to the grace of God, He has restored me and moving, is moving me forward. He's changing my life. That allows us to recognize that we don't have to pretend when we show up. We can be authentic. We can be transparent. We don't have to wear this mask, that mask, that mask, that mask. We can just be who we are. That kind of transparency is what leads to healing. Because in order to be worked on, kind of got to get our stuff out there. Right? Yeah. Jesus, in this section of text that we're about to read, talks about not being a hypocrite in prayer. It falls under the preface, really, in 6.1 of Matthew, where Jesus says, do not do your acts of righteousness to be seen by people. He doesn't poo-poo acts of righteousness. Acts of righteousness are things we're supposed to do. They're good things. He talks about almsgiving and prayer and fasting and assumes that we're going to do them. He just wants us to do them in a way that our motivation is And who we're doing them unto is properly oriented. Do not do your acts of righteousness to be seen by people when you pray. Do not be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the mask wearers. Don't be like the people that are showing up with some other agenda that aren't being real, aren't being transparent. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full their reward being the desire for other people to see them, right? That's why they showed up the prayer in the first place, is for people to see them praying. Oh boy, that guy's a good breather. I meant prayer, right? They got it. That's what they wanted. There it is. This isn't difficult to understand, right? Their reward in full. Jesus says, though, when you pray... Speaking to this ragtag bunch of people that are in need following Jesus. Go into your room. Close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. As we talked about, this audience of one. This audience of one that you can share anything with. You can go to him. You don't, this isn't about you and a bunch of other people seeing how good of a prayer you are, or anything else. This is simply about us coming before the one who can do something about whatever situation we're bringing before him, or can receive the praise that we want to bring before him. I love the way Jesus puts this, your Father who is unseen. Your Father who is unseen, who sees what is done in secret. Father who is unseen. You don't have to perform for God. Which direction do we turn? Oh, shucks. Perform in that way the whole time, and God is behind me. It's not a performance. You're coming to this one that we refer to as father. If my boys come to me as their dad and They're just trying to put on a performance and asking me for something. Probably not all that inclined to give it to them. Even if it might be something that they want or need or it's a good thing, I would hope that they would simply come to me as dad and just ask me. My boys do this sometimes, Noah in particular. He'll do the passive-aggressive asking. Right? You guys know what I'm talking about. You, no, you don't. But like, yeah. And I never give Noah what he asks me for, and when he's doing the passive-aggressive thing. Um, so, Dad. So, uh, yeah. Well, I was looking through this catalog the other day, and um, no. Just if you need something, just be straightforward and ask me for it. Is that what you? If you if you need something, if you want something, just just ask me. Don't put on a show. Don't put on a song and a dance. I'm your, I'm your dad. I love you. I want you to have good things. Don't, this is how our Heavenly Father is with us. He wants us to just ask him and then trust him. So don't, don't pray like hypocrites. And don't pray, as Jesus says here, like the pagans. And when you read pagans there, don't think contemporary pagan religion. It really is just the word ethos, nations, Gentiles, the rest of the world. The non-Jewish world, because Jesus was just addressing the way Jews were praying, some of them, in Jesus' day. Here he's saying, and don't pray like the rest of the world, who think that because they go on babbling and babbling and talking and talking and talking. Mom, 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 mom. Mom." (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, grandma, 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 grandma. Dad, 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 dad. do not keep on babbling like pagans. <laughs> but they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them. Drives the father crazy. <laughs> God can handle it. But don't think that because you babble that, or go on and on and on and on in a single prayer that God is going to hear you because you did it. I mean, there's prayers in my life that I repeat. Some of you might have some of those. But I'm not doing it because I think that that's the only way God is going to hear me. Comforting to know God is hearing me, as I'm saying them. (laughs) Father knows what you need before you ask Him, which begs the question, like, what do you want? Well, then why make me ask? Make me ask. Throw me a bone here. I'm starving to death. And now you have to ask for food. If you knew what I needed, just give it to me. How oh, fun would that be? <laughs> no, seriously. Like, where is the friendship? Where's the camaraderie? Where's the relationship? Where is the knowing where it came from? Right? Where's the learning to appreciate what God provides for us? It's a relationship that we have with God. He wants us to ask Him. Yes, He will provide stuff for us when we don't ask Him sometimes. But He longs for us to ask Him. He longs for us to come before Him. It's kind of awesome when your kids get to that place where they do, well, it kind of gets old after all, but where they do learn to ask. There's just not an assumption made about everything that they receive where there's gratitude, appreciation for what they have. That's the way God wants it with us. He wants us to ask Him. So Jesus just flat out again says, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't stand in front of people and make a spectacle about this. Don't be like the pagans. Don't babble on and on. God knows. Come before Him. Ask Him. And then He goes on. And I'll have to admit here, this was supposed to all be one message, but I've had to split it into two because I had an extra week. (laughs) And so you're going to get half of the Lord's Prayer. But I'll read it all for us right now. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You can join me if you want. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And I said that it wasn't straight from Scripture. It's just the last part that we've tacked on to the end. So the rest of that is straight out of Jesus' mouth. This then is how you should pray. Praise God that Jesus doesn't just say, don't do that. Whatever you do, don't do that. And you're like, well, that's all I've known to do, and I don't know what else to do, so now I guess I won't do anything. Jesus doesn't end there. He continues on with teaching us how to do this prayer thing. Of course, it's difficult in some ways to understand. Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. I don't want to belabor this point, but I don't know that I possibly could. God is your Father. Jesus teaches us not to pray to some force that's out there in the universe hovering around someplace and doesn't really know what's going on or doesn't really care about you, but he teaches us to pray to this God who is the creator of the entire cosmos as Father. And I know that there are people in this room that probably haven't had the best father figures in their lives. But know that we are talking here about the perfect father. The one who is perfect in love. Who is perfect in compassion. Who does know what goes on in our lives. Who does want us to come to him. Who is attentive to us. God is father. It's hard to understand sometimes. There's a couple of psalms that reference God as Father. A Father to the fatherless. Speaking of God's compassion and His care for His people. There's also some motherly language referring to God. Keep in mind that God, though He is referred to as Father, isn't a man. But He certainly has fatherly attributes. As he also has motherly attributes, it speaks just of simply God's care and concern to be like a parent for us. And this is how God wants us to address him. It's how God wants us to come before him, knowing that he is this father that we can bear our souls to. And he is in heaven, in heaven. In heaven. Technically, it should be the heavens. It's plural in Matthew's gospel. Throughout it. The kingdom of the heavens. And a lot of people think that that means somehow that God is out there someplace, distance, way away in the heavens. You gotta holler real loud Hey, Father, can you hear me now? It's not the idea. The idea is that the heavens are God's dwelling place that permeates in our entire existence. It's all around us. It's mysterious. It's the unseen realm of reality. It's where God dwells. His dominion. Actually, His dominion is anywhere He wants it to be. be. But it's this mysterious way the heavens are to speak of this unseen reality that's all around us. It's not way off someplace. God isn't distant. He's a right here Father. Intimate, personal, and relational. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's a funny name. Hallowed. Two words, hallowed. What is this? Hallowed. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name? Hallowed be I, I, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Hagios. Hallowed. Holy be your name. Glorified be your name. God's name is all about God's character. God wants his, he, he wants us to want His character to be famous throughout the world. He wants people to know what He's like. When God reveals, I was talking with, us about somebody, I was talking with somebody about this earlier this week, in a different context. When God reveals Himself in His glory to Moses. He refers to His name. Yahweh. Yahweh. The Lord. The Lord. The compassionate and gracious God. Slow to anger. Abounding in love and faithfulness. Maintaining love to thousands. And forgiving wickedness. Rebellion. And sin. That's what people should know about what God is like. That's what his name should be known for. That's what he should be famous for. The one who is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. His name should be glorified. Hallowed be your name. Let people hear your name and fall at their knees in adoration and worship of you. Lord God, because you are so good. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. The kingdom of Father God. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of the heavens. What is it? What is it? It's not a place. It's not like we're going to go like open a post office in the kingdom of God and give it a zip code. It's not a place. It's sometimes found in a place, but it's not a place. The kingdom of God transcends, it surpasses, it's greater than, and it comes before any place. The kingdom of God is the range of God's effective will. The kingdom of God is found wherever what God wants done is done. It speaks of dominion and participation and a willingness on people in that place to embrace it. I'll read that again. The kingdom of God is the range of God's effective will you are just going to have to deal with that. The kingdom of God is found wherever what God wants done is done. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's important to recognize that God wants His kingdom, the kingdom of the heavens, to be manifest right here. We're not praying, Lord God, I can't wait until you take me to where your kingdom is. That's not what He wants us to pray. He wants us to pray, I want you to want my kingdom to come where you are. You may have heard it said before that prayer is dangerous. Anybody ever heard that before? Prayer is dangerous. I think actually that this is a dangerous prayer. Because if you're going to ask for it, this kind of freaks me out when you stop and think about the fact that people throughout generation after generation after generation, 2,000 plus years of the church have been praying this prayer. Many of them not even recognizing what it is that they're praying and what it is that they're asking for. kind of freaks me out a little bit. It freaks me out to think that I've done it in the past and I'm just like, My Father, our in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Right? And no idea what it is that I'm asking for. Because if you're going to ask for it, you're going to have to surrender to it. You're going to have to surrender to it. If you're going to say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, unless you plan on going someplace other than on earth, You're going to have to participate with it. That's what the prayer is asking for. Bring it so that we can join it. The reality is is that we all have our kingdoms. We all have our own kingdoms where we desire our wills to be done. I was listening to an audio um, lecture and I cannot get this nearly as funny as the guy that I was listening to got it, but uh, he puts it something like this. We begin to understand that we have kingdoms at a very young age. What are the first words that two-year-olds learn? Yes, and no, right? Mine and no. Those are expressions of that child's kingdom. My dominion, mine, and no, you can't have it. We, like, I remember when I was a kid driving to North Dakota every summer, my sister and I would be, like, going at it in the back of the car, and we'd be like, okay, that's your side of the seat. This is my side of the seat. You stay on your side of the seat. I'll stay on my side of the seat. This is my kingdom. That's your kingdom. And do not come near my kingdom, or Dad's going to come down on you. (laughs) Because we all know it's actually his kingdom. (laughs) Or another clear indication that we have our own kingdoms is, if you've ever experienced it before, and there's a whole Seinfeld episode based on it, it's the close talker. (laughs) Well, hello, how are you doing? It's like, dude, you're in my kingdom. Back off. This is where my will is done, okay? Not, (laughs) Not your spit. Our own kingdoms are those places in us, those thoughts in us where we just want what we want and we don't necessarily care that much about how it impacts anybody around us. And we all have them. But of course, Jesus is not teaching us to pray for our kingdom to come. Right? Lord God, expand my kingdom. <laughs> Granted, some people seem to think that is what Jesus is teaching He asks us and instructs us to pray for the kingdom of the Father where His will is done to come. Take in mind that Jesus, Jesus who was the one who did not consider equality with God, though He was equal with God, as something to be exploited, had to choose to live obedient to this. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night that he was betrayed. And he prays repeatedly, Father, take this cup from me, this cup being his death, his suffering. Take this cup from me, he says. But then he follows it up with what? But not my will be done, but yours. Jesus had to surrender his own wants and desires, his own dominion unto the Father. He went through this. Let this cup pass from me, but not my will be done, but yours, Father. He was fully God, but He was fully man. And He teaches and shows us what it looks like to surrender our own wants and desires to our Heavenly Father. At the same time, Jesus makes it clear that no one took his life from him. He says in John 10, it's captured in John 10, no one takes my life from me. He said, I lay it down of my own accord. This tells us that even though the Father desires for the Son to be obedient, the Father didn't make the Son be obedient. It's not the way obedience in God's kingdom works. The Father's kingdom the Father's kingdom, we are to surrender to it. It's not forced on us. God is going to make you do it. God's kingdom is received as we surrender to it. God will not violate your kingdom. He won't violate your kingdom to bring you unto his. I mean, sometimes we want him to do that <laughs> for others. <laughs> sometimes, I'll admit, I'm blowing it and I want God to just force his will on me. But that's not the way the kingdom of God works. He doesn't force it, he has given us the will and dominion. He's given us, in a sense, the freedom to have our kingdom. And He will not force His upon us. He wants us, though, to enter it. He wants us to receive it. He wants us to see it. He wants us to participate in it. When and as we pray for the kingdom of God to come, and for His will to be done, we must see what we are doing and learn to become open to the kingdom's coming into our own lives. we must be open and willing to surrender our kingdom under the kingdom of God and live in the character and power of God, accepting the fact that to desire desire God's kingdom is to prefer it over our own and to embrace that we don't have our way. Not my will, but yours be done. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven also names reality. <laughs> if it wasn't for things like this, I wouldn't be a follower of the way. I wouldn't be a Christian. I wouldn't be a disciple of Christ. I wouldn't desire to learn from him. If he shrunk back from the realities of what goes on in the world around us, I wouldn't be interested whatsoever. There's plenty of other people that do that. and You can make a fake world and get people to follow it all, all over the place. When you see it for what it is, is—a caricature of the actual world around us, it becomes very difficult to continue to follow it. But praise God, Jesus doesn't do that. The reality is that the world is not as it was meant to be. Its true purpose is distorted. The kingdoms of this world wreak havoc on creation physically and spiritually. They do. You've probably experienced it in your own life. When you've decided to flex your own dominion, God, this is my space. Things don't always go so well. But God is at work in this broken world to redeem and transform it to establish His kingdom. He hasn't given up on it. He hasn't abandoned it. This transcendent, the present God is here. Jesus' way of prayer invites us not to retreat from the world in fear and pain, not to anesthetize it by indulging ourselves in sometimes in encouraging others to indulge themselves in whatever we can find to try and numb reality. But rather, he invites us to enter into the rough places that need to hear the hope held out in the gospel, that God is Father and God is Redeemer, that He is Emmanuel, God with us. We are not called to be blind optimists. We are called to be optimists, yes, but not blind optimists. Christians should not be blind optimists. We can't look at a bloody, beat-up Jesus on the cross and be blind optimists, just pretending that everything is just fine. The gospel of Jesus Christ faces the realities of the world's pain and suffering And if we are to be a gospel people, we must learn to face those realities. And the opening petition of the Lord's Prayer invites us to open our eyes to the realities in which we live and to join the struggle to see justice and peace prevail. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, that's... (laughs) It challenges us to pray that. It challenges us to surrender our wills and align our lives to His will and participate in God's project. It's kind of weird to put it that way, right? God's project to write what we can so clearly see is wrong. There's a hole in the gospel oftentimes. The gospel according to Jesus is also couched right in this prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The gospel according to Jesus. The kingdom of God is here and it is available to you. Over and over and over again, this is what Jesus says. Repent and hear the good news. Or repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is here. It's good news. The kingdom of God is here. Believe it. It's available to you. You can enter it. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For us, if we are praying it with any integrity, not just a bunch of words, it's a way of living. It's a way of living with God. The kingdom of God is here is the gospel. It's good news because we see a world that so desperately needs it. We see the devastation when people do not live in the way of the kingdom of God. In those situations, people's lives are ravaged. The powerless are exploited. The poor are used like a means to the rich man's wealth. When we see that, we should cry. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let righteousness and justice prevail. That's good news. I want you to think on this for a moment. We who pray, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. because this starts as an inner thing where we surrender our wills, we must seek such inner transformation that we desire nothing more to participate in tangible material expressions of the kingdom. And we must allow ourselves to participate in such material expressions of the kingdom that we desire nothing more than to participate in inner transformation. Let me explain what I mean. because That actually sounded fairly confusing when I read it. The kingdom of God comes into our midst, and it changes us. We learn to surrender by the power of the Spirit in us, our own kingdoms, unto God's desires, His wills, His wants, His ways. We learn to live life for the very first time. We find freedom. It's a, the kingdom of God touches us in our inmost being. And when we find that kind of freedom, when we experience that kind of transformation we should seek to find tangible ways to work that out in the world around us. Things like feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, listening to people, loving people, sharing life with people. We have to want it bad. And then the flip side is the same, because well, that ends up transforming us all the more. And the flip side is the same. When we glimpse the kingdom of God, we want things of it so much that we thrust ourselves into situations of serving people, of loving people, and we realize, my goodness, Lord, I need an awful lot of inner transformation in me. The two things go hand in hand. The spiritual and the material things go hand in hand. God transforms us inside, and it changes the way we act outside, which then flips around and changes us more on the inside. We try and do it sometimes as just some sort of spiritual thing without any actual kingdom of God, tangible stuff, and it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. I want to read this is a really old book reprinted a few years back. Um, James S. Stewart is his name, author's name. He puts what I just said basically this way The doctrine of the incarnation means that God has come right into the midst of the tumult of the shouting of this world. In the most literal sense, it was a down-to-earth realism that gave the gospel birth. Therefore, to separate Christianity from social concern is to corrupt it at its roots. In the strong language of the apostle, it is to make God a liar. When Jesus was born of Mary in the stable at Bethlehem, when he toiled at the carpenter's bench in Nazareth, when he walked the crowded ways and lovingly identified himself with the struggles and the miseries of men, when he suffered under Pontius Pilate, it was a declaration that divine divine eternal truth and the tough, concrete actualities of the human situation belong together. And what God has Joined together, let no man put us under. It is an unholy divorce those Christians are aiding and abetting who separate spiritual religion from material issues, such as feeding the hungry, rescuing the refugee, and enfranchising the radically disinherited. To prophesy smooth things, to preach a comfortable, innocuous gospel that leaves... The crying injustices of life untouched is the denial of Christ. Every wit as flagrant as Peter's, I know not the man. When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, we have to recognize what we're saying. That we want God's dominion here. We want His rule and His authority. That we need to surrender ours. So will you? Will you? Will you surrender it? Have you surrendered it? Your, your kingdom. Your want to want what you want and nobody else's wants. Your want to want what you want and nobody else's wants. It's just a lot of wanting. Or have you surrendered that to want what God wants? It's not... It, it probably starts at a single point But it goes on and on and on. We choose to do this on a regular basis, or we choose not to do it on a regular basis. We have to come back before Jesus and surrender ourselves to Him. There's times when we just want what we want, and we don't really care what anybody else thinks. But we have to recognize this prayer that many of us have prayed our whole lives teaches us to do something different. Will you surrender daily your own wants to take up the cross of Christ? Will you surrender your kingdom to serve a king crucified? Will you surrender your will to self under the will of God? Not just your thoughts, not just your ideas, but your actions, your doing. Will you surrender yourself unto God? Because this is what Jesus is telling us to pray for. This is what Jesus is telling us to pray for, which tells us something. It's kind of beyond us to make it happen. You know, each one of those verbs that show up in those first three petitions are imperatives, are Commands. They're commands that recognize that for those things to happen, God has to participate in their happening. We can't make those things happen. God wants us to want them, but he also knows that for those things to happen in our lives, that inner transformation to happen, let alone the outward transformation to happen, God has to begin it. This is why Jesus teaches us to pray that way. We can't muster it up by strength of our own. Only God can do this in us. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to glimpse your kingdom. Help us to be overtaken by your kingdom. To be just so, so in love with the vision of what the world can be that we can't get it out of our minds. That we would give up everything in order to receive it, in order to enter into it. Father, praise you that that your kingdom comes into our midst, and it doesn't diminish us. It doesn't take our own right to will away. But you woo us to yourself. You show us the glory of your kingdom. You teach us the glory of your name. So, Father, in heaven, let your name be glorified. Glorify your name in our world. Let people see you people know how good you are. And let your kingdom come bring it. Let your will be done. And help us to get on board with it. Forgive us when we fail miserably at it. Help us to want it. We love you, Jesus. Amen.